Congratulations, you made it to the X-Fill. You can relax, empty your bags, and we hope you enjoy the show. Hey there, Mike, a.k.a. MTB Trigger here, and with me as always is my co-host Ronald, a.k.a. Eric. If you're brand new, welcome. This is an Escape from Tarkov podcast where we cover all things EFT, and our goal is to get better at the game, and we hope you do too. So hopefully by now you know what time it is. It's hideout keeping time. So first of all, you guys, again, thank you so much. The reviews continue to roll in. 45-star reviews on iTunes. Thank you to those of you that have done that. If you haven't done that and you are capable, that would be a huge, huge thing to do for us. Thank you. A special shout-out to Krulay, Travis, The Catalyst. <sighs> I'm so sorry in advance. M. Katsuyam. Unique Fly and Golf Guy 8899. Thank you guys so much for leaving a review as well as a comment about what you like about the show. And they were all sincere comments. It was none of the crazy fake stuff. And we really, really appreciate that because it helps people find the show and know what we're all about. So sincerely, thank you. Appreciate you. Second thing on the list, guys, the best way to support the show, as always, is to share the show with a friend. Beyond that, like we just talked about, if you can review us or give us a comment or give us five stars on whatever platform you're listening to, that goes a very, very long way. And if for some reason you couldn't recommend us to a friend or you can't give us five stars, please let us know why. It may sound crazy, but we do want to know what or why you don't like the show, because we want to put out the best show possible. So please let us know. And lastly, we do have a YouTube channel where we post the talk show versions of this podcast if you're listening to it. So make sure to go subscribe at the YouTube at youtube.com forward slash XP Media now. And lastly, you can find me on Twitch if you're looking for me. I stream on Twitch a few days a week. Come ask anything Tarkov related. I'm on Twitch and Twitter under the handle MTB Trigger. So come in there, hang out. A lot of new faces in the chat. It's been really fun to get to know some folks over there. And yeah, Ronald, how are you, man? Let them know where they can find you. And how are you, sir? I'm doing fantastic. Special thank you again to those of you that have left real comments and five-star reviews. We really appreciate that. We first of all appreciate the feedback because we're doing this because we really want to help and create a new community around Tarkov and really appreciate the feedback. But also, uh, thank you for taking your time to listen to our show and also to leave a review. That really means a lot. So you can find me if you want to get a hold of me. I'm hanging out in the Xfil Discord just about every day. Hit me up with a DM in there. You'll find me at Ronald at the top of the list there with uh, MTB Trigger. And also, you can follow me on the Twitters at Ronald Gaming. Shoot a follow, and then you can always um, hook up with me there. And then also, we do have an email, xpmedia2020 at gmail.com. We check that email every day. So if you have thoughts that you know you can't do with Twitter, or maybe you're at work or whatever like that listening to this, please feel free to email the show. We check that email multiple times a day, and we're very happy to get back to everyone that contacts us that way. So yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And at this time right now, 34 days into this show being live, 
We've had over 200 members join the Discord. So if you're looking for a place to hang out, talk Tarkov, get help, group, squad up, or just chat, look at pictures of the crazy loot that people find, that's what the Discord's for. You can always find that in the show notes. But that's it for hideout keeping. We're getting into it. So tonight on the show, you know, it's <laughs> it's kind of lonely, man. We uh, we had two guest episodes in a row, but uh, I'm, I'm honestly kind of excited to dig into our topics tonight. And we're sticking with the theme of just having a couple things to talk about. Well, a couple main topics, I should say, because the second one has like 70 different threads we could go down. But we commonly get requests about things to cover on the show. One of the most common things is budget loadouts. We also get asked pretty often what our favorite guns are, what armors are good, specifically at the beginning of the game. So we're going to talk budget loadouts tonight, and we're also going to dig into some of the things that was said on the last Tarkov podcast that happened... What was that? Oh, it was on the 10th. So February 10th, Nikita went live on Twitch for the dev blog number eight with a bunch of streamers on there. So we'll dig into that, but we're going to start with budget loadouts. So before we get into that, man, how was was your week in Tarkov? It was pretty good. I spent this week after last week having Dadcaster on the show, which was fantastic. He somewhat privately shamed me about not doing enough uh, tasks, which, you know, I had to leave the flea market. I had to leave the safety of the flea market this week, go out into the world and try to do a task. It was good. It was good, actually. I uh, banged through some levels, got some hideout stuff upgraded, started to play a couple of new maps. I've had some fun on Woods this week, which was uh, a fun new map for me to learn. Yeah, it was pretty good. Pretty good overall, all the way around. How about you? Well, I hit level 40, which was awesome because my hideout just recently got maxed. And then I hit level 40, which got my the rest of my traders maxed. So I got mechanic and ragman to level four. So that unlocked a majority of the trades and items I was looking for, most notably ammo. So I have access to most of the high-end ammo in limited quantities that you can buy every time they reset, which is amazing. So I've been running some new guns, trying out the different ammo. So that's been awesome. I think most notably this last week, and sorry to those of you that have witnessed me trying to learn labs on stream, um, (laughs) that place is brutal, man. And I've been going in there a few times a day, just trying to get a handle on it. And I've actually had some very successful runs. I would say overall, I'm pretty even, you know, because you'll have a successful run in there and take a boatload of stuff out, and then you'll lose all your gear a couple times in a row. And there's no insurance in labs. So whatever you take in, if it doesn't come out with you through an exfil, it's gone. So even if someone kills you and doesn't loot you, you lose it in labs. So it's been a very interesting week learning that map, but I've had a lot of fun getting heavy into the end game PvP side. Yeah, and you also did an epic factory run this week with our friend the One Heart. I got to say, first of all, watching that was very, very uh, entertaining, but just, just listening to First of all, the gun. You you need to tell everybody about this shotgun that you made because... Made is a stretch. <laughs> it, it, it was a little bit beyond ridiculous. Or I should say this. It was beyond chadiculous. We need to start calling this one. So you got to break this down. But we can't let this week pass without talking about this gun. Yeah, so this was the Chad Saiga. I know exactly what game you're talking about now. So I actually didn't build this. I've seen the trade for it. 
at the vendors and it's insane how much stuff you have to turn in. It's a couple hundred thousand worth of gear to get this thing, but it is a fully modded out Saiga with a suppressor, a 20 round drum mag. Every part has been touched. It's crazy. Like I I killed a guy. I actually had two of these. I've actually acquired two by killing people in factory, but it's, it's nuts, man. I, I had two of the drum mags and you just kind of stomp around factory with, I think it's the AP ammo type for the 12 gauge, which is the really good one. And you get 20 shots with this and it actually has some really good range on it. But this thing just murders. Like if you're anywhere near their head, this just drops people. So we were up in the office area just dropping scavs and players, stomping around like crazy. And I I don't know how many kills I had in that game, but I know it was over 20. And it was (laughs) just a hilarious gun, especially if you want to either meme around factory because it's a total meme gun. Or if you just want to just chat out and sprint around, it's it's perfect for that. So if you ever get your hands on one of these kitted out Chad Saigas, go nuts, man. And factory is the place. Yep. And for those who are new to Tarkov and new to the show, this is a shotgun with a 20 round barrel clip on the bottom of it in a purple light. And all Trigger did was run around and just shoot people in the face. There was no sneaking. There was no stopping to listen for who's around the corner. You're around the corner. Trigger was around the corner. And so this was the purple light of death. It was hilarious to watch. Honestly, we were all kind of laughing. It was just a good time. So definitely something that we needed to highlight. Well, and my favorite part about it was there were people in chat being like, aren't you going to loot the scabs or any of the people? And I was like, dude, (laughs) if I killed someone with this gun, like, they're going to get their stuff back in insurance because I don't care. I'm going to the next kill. I'm not stopping to loot. I was stopping to heal, use painkillers, and just figure out where I wanted to run. So really, really cool gun. Yeah. And I got to tell you, actually, so a couple of episodes ago, we talked about the rat in the Chad. And one of the things that has kind of happens, and I think this kind of happens as you develop in this game, is I've gotten more comfortable on Shoreline. I'm starting to play a little bit more like a Chad. It's been a little bit of a situation. I mean, not full. Really? Not, not, not full on Chad, but, you know, if I were to make a guide for Shoreline maybe two weeks ago, I would have put a big black square over Resort and said, I'm not sure what this place <laughs> is. But uh, Ronald ran right into Resort tonight and didn't think twice about it. Killed some scavs, two players, got some crap and left. Does this have anything to do with us? doing signal part one or part two, which I had to take you inside of the glorious fence, the black zone. The, the, <laughs> I was not aware that there was anything inside of that fence. I thought the map ended at the fence. I thought you walked to the fence, stopped, and hit like an invisible wall, right? You broke this barrier for me, and now I have this addiction to killing people inside of the resort. I got to say, the comfort level of the rat can migrate towards the Chad behavior. It can get there. It can get there. Now, I was on customs, scared out of my mind, and being shot at from all directions, and so I just hid and snipe people. So, full on rat mode in that situation. But I had, to, I had to give everyone the update that the rat can migrate towards the Chad a little bit. We'll see. We'll see how this goes. Well, I think the thing that I noticed the most when we played together over the last week was you used to stop a lot or you would crouch walk a lot. And 
I gave you a tip that I sort of followed over the past few weeks, which was I don't sprint very often when I'm playing solo. I walk full speed almost all the time because you just don't make a lot of noise. And furthermore, if somebody has a headset, they can hear you if you're crouch walking around them. If they're not moving and you're sneak walking, they're hearing you and they know exactly where you're coming from. So my opinion was it was always better to just walk full speed. The number one thing I've noticed in playing Shoreline with you is the speed at which you tackle the map because you're moving almost all the time. You know exactly where you're going, which I still don't on Shoreline. It's one of my least played maps, but I do enjoy it. But I notice that you're always moving. You're almost always walking full speed. You rarely sprint and you rarely slow down other than just to take a quick listen and then move on. Is that part of this like rat, chad, hybrid, whatever you want to call it? Yeah. What it is, is when we started talking about the difference in sound, right? So very, on one of the very first Xfil podcasts, we talked about how, how much sound is a thing in this game and how it's almost like an unequipped, like third weapon. When we started talking about that, I started thinking, okay, well, we need to worry about how much noise make me walk and those kinds of things. And you do need to do that. But when you're outside, you don't really. I mean, you're you're going to see somebody probably before you hear them with the wind noise on shoreline, you know, if they're far enough away in your big open field. But overall, yeah, I would say two things, right? I mean, you have probably four times, 4x the amount of playtime that I have just because of our current life schedule and that kind of thing. So I'm at the point where I'm getting comfortable with it. And I I think that I can offer a perspective for newer players, right? As they go through this progression of maybe not being able to play for hours each day, but maybe play for an hour. And I can tell you that it's a cool thing once you start to get comfortable on a map and you, you change your play style to make it so that your objective is not as much to live, but it's weighted more towards getting things done. Does that kind of make sense? It does make sense. and. It reminded me of the first map that I really dug into was Interchange, right? And there's a point where I got so comfortable with Interchange and then I started branching out, right? And I went to Customs and I went to Factory and I went to Resort. But then if I had bad games or I had a string of bad task experience on those other maps, I'd go back to Interchange. I'd go back to that comfortable spot where I knew that I could have a 50-50 chance of having a good run. It's really cool to see you in that position on shoreline, like knowing the map inside and out. And I think it's really important because <laughs> you're like, what do you want to do tonight? And I was like, I know you want to play shoreline. You're like, yeah, let's go to shoreline. <laughs> you're right though. It is so important to find one thing that you can do or that you like to do, right? Maybe to say in a way that say it's, it's important to have the one thing that you like to do that you can come back to when you're frustrated. Because this game is going to frustrate just absolute wits out of you. And because of that, you, you need something to come back that you can do that you have a relatively high success percentage chance of doing. And that is relaxing. Because I can tell you when I was learning customs this week and playing woods, there's a few times where it was not enjoyable, right? I mean, the grind of learning a new map for a new player or for even a whatever, just the grind of learning something new. You're in labs. Sometimes it's fun. Sometimes you're like, wow, really? That just happened. So it's like, here we go. And then you got to have something to have that wrap up for the day or even where it's like, okay, I'm going to go do a scav run in my familiar place and put on my warm blanket, get some crap and, you know, kind of end the day on a positive note. And I just think that's important. And that's kind of where I've gotten my playtime has allowed me to get to with, with Shoreline. 
doesn't mean that I'm not going to play their maps or do the tasks or progress in the game. It just means that I got myself to a place where I have something I can fall back on to have fun. And I encourage everyone to do that. If you're getting into this and you're like, man, I'm getting frustrated and you keep trying everything, like just trying everything all at the same time, slow down perhaps and just pick a map and don't worry about progression. Just pick a map, do scav runs on it, learn it, get to the point where it's it's fun. You can come out with some good loot so you can earn some money to fuel and fund you know, your progression into maps that you don't know so well. Well, and it's interesting as you were breaking that down, and it's kind of funny because it's totally unplanned, but I think that concept plays perfectly into why we get asked about budget-friendly weapons all the time. And it's this idea of having something that you can fall back on. If Tarkov is so frustrating that you lost all your gear or you just keep losing gear, having the map to go back to, having the gun build to go back to, having the best armor that's a budget-friendly armor to go back to, it kind of all wraps into the same point. I guess what I would say is it, it, really, it really comes down to your playstyle. Shoreline's one of those maps that's just so interesting because you can literally play that map anyway, right? If you want to sprint for resort and PvP, great. If you want to sprint for resort with a backpack on and scoot out of there before anyone gets there, you can do that. If you want to hit stashes around the perimeter or go snipe down on the coast, like it, it's got everything in it. But there's other maps that play really well to certain playstyles, and all maps you can do anything on. Don't hear me wrong, but I think the playstyle and the budget friendly or the favorite map, it's all the same thing. So as we move into this conversation about budget guns, you may want us to say, hey, here's our favorite loadout. Here's the best gun. Here's the number one recommendation we have. And honestly, it's going to be more of a conversation of playstyle because I think people get too caught up in what other people are doing right? There's, there's always these conversations about the meta guns or what's the best gun. I don't really subscribe to that, right? You've heard us talk about ammo kills people, guns don't. That's true here too. But your playstyle does matter. You know, if you find yourself engaging people from 50 to 100 meters or even 25 to 75 meters, which is relatively medium to long range in this game, if you're taking in a fully auto gun that's modded out to be fully auto and low recoil, you're probably not doing yourself any favors. And frankly, you're probably wasting currency for modifications that don't really matter. And I would point you more towards a DMR, you know, something that's not fully auto, something that you can one tap or rapid tap if you need to, if someone gets close to you. But I think that you'd be better off not modding out a fully auto gun, but maybe making some smaller upgrades to a DMR like the ADAR, for example, would be a great gun for that. Or perhaps something like the SKS, right? Something that has really good ammo relatively inexpensively. But again, it comes down to the playstyle. What fights are you losing and where do you want to get better? Initially, it's going to be a hard question to answer because you're going to feel like you're losing every fight. And that's okay. That's just the way this goes. So like the first, I don't even know, there's no number to put on it. But for a while, like you're either really good at FPS and then it's going to come easier or you're not. And it's going to take a little bit longer and that's okay. So, but play style really matters, right? It doesn't really matter if you're going to play slow or fast or whatever. It just, you need to pick a gun. Honestly, I think 
And you just have to decide, do you want to be in people's faces or do you want to be a sniper? And that's really all that matters, I think. I, I mean, my opinion in the beginning of this is you either need to pick the scav Mosin with a scope so you can kill somebody from like 100 meters plus, or you need to pick whatever you can find, AKs, pistols, ADAR, whatever, so you can kill people kind of up close. And you just have to get comfortable with the idea that you're just going to go through guns. Keep running scav runs, keep getting whatever the scav has, and then keep going in and, you know, you're going to lose like 80% of the time and that's going to be fine. You just have to pick that. So just keep that in mind. And sometimes, you know, when you get, when you start to feel at, at some point, when you start to feel more confident and let's just say you're, you're winning more, bring one of each. Bring a long-range gun, bring a short-range gun, go to a big map, and, you know, go to town. It is uh, it is about playstyle, I think, in the early game, more than it's about trying to do what everyone else is doing, because there's only one way to play the game, which, you know, our philosophy and what we've said in every episode is play this game the way that you want to. Have fun. It's a video game. Don't play it the way that we play it. Play it the way that you want to play it. Yeah, and I actually was challenged by the whole concept of budget. You said something there that I know you do, and I never do it. But you take two guns into a raid, right? I, I never do that. Perhaps I should think about doing it. But to me, the idea of a budget loadout, I would challenge everybody to change the way they think about budget loadout. If you're trying to find the most inexpensive kit that you can lose and keep losing, I think you're focused on the wrong aspect of Tarkov. The most effective budget build for each individual player, in my opinion, is the build that you can successfully get out of the raid with. And what that means is it's the build that you're probably the most comfortable with killing other players that isn't breaking the bank to go into it. So if you say to me, well, Mike, I'm, I'm really comfortable with a M4 fully modded and 240 rounds of M995. Well, that, that gets out of the realm of being cost effective because if you lose that, you're down 500k just on the gun and the ammo. But what I'm saying is, to Ronald's point, if you pick up a Mosin and you're comfortable with the bolt and you can survive most of the time, that's going to be a much better budget gun for you than, say, a unmodded AKM that you go try to have close-range combat with if you're not quite up to speed with that yet. I would challenge everybody to think about what you think is actually a budget-friendly item. And the first thing I would try, honestly, is just upgrading your ammo. So one thing I want to talk about was specifically is getting away from this idea that there is only one gun for the right situation kind of kind of thing. And so what what we run into when you read guides, which are good, guides are great. We make guides and people in our community make guides. There's plenty of stuff all over the place, right? Guides are good, but you have to get away from the idea that there's only one way to play a game. Last week, we interviewed Dottie Hack and it was a great interview. If you haven't caught that yet, I highly suggest you pick up Xville episode seven and you listen to this because Dottie's got thousands of hours in this game and he is very, very good at it. And he will run around with a pistol with the right ammo and take out just about anybody. So you can't tell me that you have to have some meta AK in order to take people out because he runs around with a pistol and takes people out. And that's kind of his thing. So I think that once you get out of your mind that there's only one way to play the game, you can really take advantage of the diversity of guns and ammo 
and equipment that's available in Tarkov, and you can really have a good time and play the game the way you want to play it. From my own personal experience, I've done a lot of pistol runs this week, and I've had a blast. Pistols are cheap, so if you don't have a lot of money, you can get a pistol, you can get 16, maybe 24 rounds of ammo, and just go in on a PMC run. So if you only have 24 rounds of ammo, that's fine. Don't intentionally get into a lot of kill situations, but you can still get some loot, complete a task, and get out. And you don't have to worry about losing something that costs, you know, 100, 150,000. You can get a pistol and get all in for maybe 25,000. And I think that's a super important point that we don't want to overlook here when we're talking about budget guns is that don't underestimate the pistol and play the game in your own way. Well, and the, the funny part is if you go in with just a few reasonable clips, right, or even one clip, if you're buying the most expensive pistol round, which will pierce armor and allow you to one-shot even decked out PMCs, that's not going to cost you an arm and a leg if you're taking in 18 or 36 of those bullets, you know, compared to when you go in with an AK or an M4 or, you know, anything where you're taking a boatload of ammo. If you're spending 700 rubles a round, on a pistol, that's not nearly as bad as when you're buying 120 or 180 of them. So pistol can be a really good budget-friendly gun. And again, it doesn't really matter which pistol you choose, focus on the ammo. Yep. And don't underestimate too, with a pistol, you can throw a silencer on a pistol and a folding stock. You get the stats out of that gun that are very comparable to a decent AK. It's just something not to overlook because it's not super intuitive that you would say pistols, you know, are something that can really be effective, but they are, and they're not meant to be overlooked or thrown away in this game. And so if you're struggling on money, get a pistol and start learning interchange and you'll make money. Yeah. And, and the next thing I wanted to talk about was it's all play style, right? <laughs> and I hate telling you to analyze your own game. Because I can't analyze everybody that's in the Discord. I'd love to have the time to do that. But the other thing I would encourage you to look at is oftentimes you'll go in with a scav, right? And we're talking budget of, I mean, you ran out of money, you don't have a whole lot going on. Well, go in as a scav. And if you see you have an AK, one of the best budget things to do is turn the AK to single fire and practice your headshots. An unmodded AK, if you're trying to automatic fire that weapon, it's not going to be very effective on the scav or even on your PMC. So one of my favorite budget guns is honestly an unmodded gun from a scav on single fire. And I basically, if I see an AK on a scav and I'm waiting for the team that I'm with to die on whatever map they're on and I died first for some reason, or I'm just scaving, if it's a vepper, of course, if it's a hunter, of course, but any of those AKs that are fully automatic, turn them into a DMR. Use them as single fire. They're extremely effective as a budget DMR without any modifications. And most of the ammo, like even if you get PRS ammo or any of that, will be devastating if you practice hitting your headshots. Yeah. When you're scaving, so say you're broke and you're like, I need a, I need a budget gun. Really, whatever the scav has, even if it's a Mosin, whatever, I mean, Whatever the scav has is going to be good enough for you to use. If you're saying, okay, well, my PMC needs a gun. One thing that you can do if you really are broke is you can get the free AK from Praper, right? You can take that and you can at least get started again. Or if you see that your scav has got some equipment that to get you started again, 
Just do a scav run and go right to the exfil. Who cares? Just get out with all that gear, throw it on your PMC to get you going again. I mean, there are there are situations where you can get in that scenario where you need to do that. So I think that not ignoring the utility of a scav in maybe an unconventional way, you don't always just have to fill a scav's bags up and try to get out right away. Think about what the scav can do for your PMC. I agree with that. As I really considered like everyone that was asking this question, right? I, I just sort of thought, and I even asked some people back and said, where are you struggling the most, right? And I, I don't want to just gloss over that and say, look at your play style, look where you're dying. A lot of the times that this came up, it was people dying in close quarters combat, and they're trying to figure out a gun that will help them stay competitive when someone runs up on them, or they get in those gunfights that are kind of close quarters, and they found themselves losing there. We had a bunch of people that came over from console. We had a bunch of people that came over from never playing an FPS game before. The action in Tarkov can be really spread out. Depending how you play, you could go 30, 40 minutes without even being close to the action. Or it can happen within 30 seconds of the match starting. It's so unpredictable as far as that goes that if you haven't honed your FPS skills recently or on other titles... This can be really challenging, and a lot of that was the root of these conversations I was having over DM with some folks, and I found myself wondering personally how I got better at this and how I got over the fear of close quarters combat in this game, and I really wanted to talk about the laser sights. When I first saw the laser sights on guns, I just turned them off. Right? I didn't I didn't use laser sights for the first 35 levels in this game and it was a huge huge mistake. I turned a major corner in this game in the last week and a half by putting laser sights on guns and it wasn't me putting on it, it was someone sharing a build with me and I just copied the build and I kept building it. They're like, "Why don't you ever use the laser, man?" And I was like, "Well, the enemy can see it. The enemy can see this laser. Like, why would I give them position information about me. Well, then I started thinking about it and I'm like, well, if they're focused on my laser, they might not be looking at where I'm coming from. That's a bonus in my favor. Yes, they could use it against me. But two, when you have the laser sight on, it makes your guns shockingly accurate in this game. You gotta use the lasers. If you have a laser on an automatic fire weapon, try hip firing. It is remarkable how accurate it is. And this is going to lead me into my point, especially to those of you that are new to PC or you haven't played an FPS game in a while. I would highly encourage you to play one other game specifically. I am biased towards this game because I played it for a long time, but I would tell you to go look at Counter-Strike. I think the Global Offensive, which is the most recent version of it, is actually free to play now. But the entire game, minus a couple sniper rifles and maybe two assault rifles, is all done in hip fire. And it's quick action. It's close quarters combat. So if you're trying to train yourself to get into hip fire combat, and the lasers in Tarkov are incredible. I will reiterate that point. They are so good. Do not sleep on the lasers. Do not make the same mistake that I did. Use the lasers. And if you want a game that will help you practice close quarters combat in a hip fire scenario, Counter-Strike. Try it. My point in that is, as important as I think budget loadouts are, I also think it's very important 
to put yourself in the best scenario to win. And if a 10,000 ruble laser sight added to your automatic weapon puts you in a way better scenario to win fights in close quarters combat, try it. Try it, try it. I think you'll be really impressed with the hip fire accuracy in this game. Yeah, absolutely. I've been putting laser sights on all kinds of stuff in the past week since we've been kind of talking about this. I mean, I can tell you that running into resort head first, Chad first, ready to roll is fun. More fun, I'll say, with having a laser sight on the gun because hip firing is so much easier. And that was something I just wasn't really good at at all. So I can I can tell you that it definitely has helped my play style. This is something not to be ignored. Now, they can get expensive. I mean, if you're going to start losing guns all the time with laser sights on them and keep having to build those guns up again, it is not super friendly on the old budget. But it is something that does help you get quests done that are in areas that are highly contended. Absolutely. And we just kind of gave a bunch of tips around this idea and concept of budget. I want to ask you specifically, what is your favorite loadout, including armor, when you don't want to lose a bunch of money or you just had a string of bad raids? Like, what are you putting on that's budget friendly? I'm so, I would say like any level four armor is pretty budget friendly in the early game. Finding, you know, some kind of a helmet that gives you some kind of protection don't need a face shield. You really don't need a face shield. Don't worry about that. Something that's got like 30 to 40 hit points on it is something that I go for when I know that I'm probably going to die. Just something something level four in that area. Now, as far as like guns and bags, I just use junk bags when I feel like I'm going to die. So an MBSS or I don't really keep anything smaller than that anymore. So I don't keep duffel bags or what is it called? Like the army sling bag or the army pack. I don't keep any of that anymore. I just sell all that stuff now. MBSS is the smallest thing that I keep. And I really only use those if I feel like I'm going to go into a spot where I'm learning and I'm going to get killed. Pretty much now, Burkitts are pretty much my standard. If I'm going to go, let's say I'm going to do like my comfortable run, like I'm going to go in the shoreline. Um, if it's something that I'm not worried about dying necessarily, I'll take two guns. I'll take a sniper gun. I'll take a close quarters gun. And that might be a pistol in a, in a sniper gun. So, I mean, it doesn't have necessarily have to be an AK. And then I'll take a Burkitt and I'll run around and kill people and then get to the point where I'm filling up that bag and try to make it to wherever the exfil is. And so I think that the loadout question you have to ask yourself, am I doing something where I'm learning something new or am I doing something where I'm confident where I'm not going to lose what I have? And again, everybody can die on any situation. You know whether you're pushing yourself to kind of grow your skills or not. So that's like my two ways of thinking about it. If I know I'm going to lose and I'm just going into, I shouldn't say that, if I know I'm going to lose. If I know that there's a high probability that I'm going to lose, then what I, what I generally like to think is I just take a pistol, some, a pistol and I'll take um, a junk bag and just have a level four armor of some kind and just kind of go. How about you? So a couple things that are different, and I like your take on it. It's similar to the take that I used, I don't know, when I was in le the level 20s. I've, I've made some modifications, though. And the number one thing that's different is if I'm going on a budget loadout, I don't wear a helmet. And the reason being is, you know, the cheap army helmet's 17,000 rubles. And my experience is if I get shot in the head, I'm usually going to die anyway. You know, you have a small percentage chance to ricochet a bullet, 
But if I'm on a budget-friendly build, I'd rather save the ammo because if you get shot in the head, you usually die anyway. So I actually don't take a helmet in if I'm doing a budget build. And then oftentimes I'll take in either a Mosin that's unscoped or a scoped Mosin if I happen to have one because I like the ability to shoot one bullet and kill someone. And the Mosin for me is the most effective way to do that. I'll go in without a bag or if I do go with a bag, I'm like you. The smallest bag that I keep anymore is a Burkitt or the Scav backpack. I keep both of those. But I think the part that plays more into it is I really like the, it's the Ule. The 6B23 armor. It's the class 4 tactical rig. And if I have those laying around, I try to hang on to those anytime I can get them. Like if I kill some scabs or I scab in and have one, I try to bring those out because they are a class 4 armor. They have 50 hit points. And if I have one of those on, I won't even take a backpack in. I'll use that in my pockets and I'll go try to kill something with a backpack. So for me, it's a Mosin all day. Or I will get the 5.7 pistol, which has become my new favorite, with one clip of 20 good ammunition. So just a pistol, 20,000 rubles worth of ammo, and that gun can one-tap most PMCs with one shot. So those are my two favorite builds. And again, I think the helmet's the place where we differ a little bit, but that's just my experience is that if I get shot in the helmet, if I get shot in the head, I die. So I'll often not wear a helmet in budget scenarios. Yeah, you can also do that too. You bring up a great point. You can go in without a bag and just use your rig as your armor because the odds are you're going to kill a scab and get something, a duffel bag or an army pack, or if you're lucky, you get a scab backpack, which is big. The other thing too is it all depends on the map. Like if I'm going to go to interchange with a budget build, I'm just going to take a pistol. I'm not going to take a Mosin or anything like that. Just take one gun. I'm going to take a pistol because odds are I'm going to kill a scav that has an AK or an 8R or something, right? And so we'll just grab that. So I think you bring up a couple of good points. And I think that's a really interesting idea about not wearing a helmet. And it's something that I know that I'm going to look into and try. Yeah, I would honestly encourage everybody to give it a try without a helmet when you're trying to save some currency. Because honestly, I think you'll find that if you get shot in the head, you're going to die. And then that's just 17,000 rubles every single time for that class three armor helmet with the uh, high ricochet chance. So again, just some other strategies to try. Don't sleep on the pistol. Don't sleep on the laser sight. And again, personally, I'd highly recommend the Mosin or single fire, all those AKs that you see on scavs. And again, Ronald brought up a bunch of good points too. There's, there's nothing wrong with going in with a pistol and a backpack. You know, and if you use an armored rig to his point, you can kill somebody. And oftentimes they will have armor and a vest, you can put your tactical rig into your backpack and use it as storage. And oftentimes it will have more storage than the spaces that it takes up, or at the very least, it will be similar. So there's just a lot of options for reducing the amount of gear you take into a budget run and coming out way ahead if you're successfully exfil. So anything else you wanted to touch on for for budget builds? I think we did a good job covering it. I would encourage everyone that's listening to this, jump into Discord. If you're not already in the XFIL Discord, hop in the general chat. Let's talk about budget runs because I think that there's a lot of people right now who are struggling with running out of money and then trying to figure out what am I going to do next. And I think that all of us together could have some good conversations in Discord about what we do when we're getting low on rubles and we need to figure out that that budget situation to kind of keep the dream moving. So 
All I would say is uh, jump into Discord. The link will be in the show notes. And yeah, let's let's talk about it. Yeah, let's um let's do this. When you hear this part of the podcast, jump into general chat and write down what your favorite budget build is, whether it's a gun or armor or you have something specific about your budget setup that you like and why, write that into the Discord. Just say my favorite budget item or my favorite budget build is this. And, and let's see if we can come up with a bunch of ideas as a community for people that are looking for that kind of thing. So that'll be fun. We'll we'll do that too once we start seeing it rolling into Discord. So that'll be great. Yep. And let's add one more thing to that. Let's. Why don't you add your opinion in Discord about whether or not you should be wearing a helmet or not? What do you think about Trigger's idea? Let's get some conversation going around that. I think that'll be fun for everybody. Come on, Chad, speak up. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's uh, let's get over to the Tarkov TV Dev Blog number eight. Because this thing was jam-packed full of stuff. A lot of it was minor. A lot of it was stuff that they leaked via pictures. We're not going to dig too deep into that stuff, but there was some really interesting interactions between all of the streamers that they had on the show and Nikita. And then there was a bunch of questions that they asked him that led to some really interesting stuff. So we're going to kind of rattle some of this stuff off and it may be out of order from the podcast, but there's just some things that we we kind of wanted to talk about. So a couple of things that got brought up that I thought was really interesting was Nikita said this game will always be hardcore. They have no plans to make it easier on new players. They have no plans to make it easier for existing players. They want this to be a hardcore MMO shooter, whatever you want to call it. He didn't define it. I don't know what to call it. Tarkov's going to be hardcore. Then, shortly after that, he talked about the cultists that they were going to bring into the game. And he said that the antidote for the poison that they have on their knife And if you haven't heard about these yet, these are going to be wandering, stealthy NPCs around the marked areas of the maps that can stab you and poison you. And Nikita said that the antidote could take weeks of crafting in your hideout. Weeks. And it can be deadly till the end of the raid. It can, he said it may cause hallucinations. He said it may cause random noises, phantom footsteps. He's like, we're also not going to tell you when it's going to get added to the game. So, so someday soon, you're going to be wandering through woods or in the dorms on customs, and you're going to get shanked by a stealthy, poisonous dagger. Like, <laughs> talk about hardcore, man. Ugh. Yeah, it is. Actually, I love it, actually. I think it's going to be so much fun. Now, it is going to drive some people absolutely crazy. So, I mean, you just got to be... You just got to understand that the point of this game, and they've said this, the devs have said this, the point of the game is to force you to play with your friends because you're going to, you're going to need, you're going to need a tribe to win this war. Or and, to learn from them at the very least. Yep. And and I yeah. think, and I think that that is awesome. It is a very interesting mix of FPS and MMO. And because of that, additions like this take away from the idea that this game is just a run around and shoot everybody, right? You're going to have to be aware. Now, the question is, are we going to have any kind of way to mitigate this? Like, will they give us something that can detect these cultists or can we hear them or, you know, can you adjust your play style? I mean, we don't know anything about it. We don't know. One of the things I like about Tarkov is that 
there's so there's so much varied equipment that my guess is that there will be somebody will figure something out whether it's a tack rig whether it's um some kind of a maybe the cultists are show up on like an infrared scope or something just off the top of my head i'm thinking about a couple ways like how would you solve this problem right and it doesn't mean that it'll be cheap, but what I like about it is that there's even the possibility that we can use all of the equipment that's in the game to come up with a solution. And to me, I just love it. I just love that. Well, the part to me that I love is that he said that we could loot the poison knife. And he didn't answer directly, but this, everyone that was on the cast asked him, can we use the knife to poison people? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just like, Dude, there's going to be people sitting in corners with poison knives, like, <laughs> just no gear on, and they just bring in a poison knife trying to stab you, man. Okay, so, like, literally, Nighttime Factory is go- is a horror movie. It's going to be, like, I, I just, I don't know, what do you even <laughs> say to this, man? Poisonous rats. <laughs> well, I mean, the poison NPCs first, right? Oh, yeah. And then the poison rats. I mean, well, yes, there's I- no marked there's no marked areas on factory, so I don't think you'd find them there. Oh, uh, that's almost disappointing because that would be kind of fun. <laughs> I know, right? It makes you wonder if they'll find a way to get them onto every map. I'm sure they will. It's going to be interesting to see how this feature is received, right? Because there's always a balance between the insanity of a dev and then how the features, you know, is someone going to keep playing your game, right? Right. So, so sometimes. I, I, I guess I feel like they are maybe pushing the boundaries of how this type of game is normally structured. And, you know, they're trying something different. It's definitely new. So, Well, they are. And they're pushing boundaries at the same time that they are working on the infrastructure changes. And, you know, I saw improvements today. I think everybody's seen some improvements. Uh, he said by the end of last week by the time you hear this that they would have all of the server stuff figured out and i I found it really interesting right and almost unfortunate in a way that they've had such a massive influx of new players that they've had to take some focus away from content maybe maybe right uh but they but they're so focused on performance and stability and I, I kind of noticed it, right? There was a point where Nikita was laughing and saying, you know, before the Twitch Drops event, internally they were thinking that if they had 30,000 concurrent players, they made it, right? That was it. That was a great number. And he shared during the podcast that the weekend averages in January and the first week of February were 110,000, almost four times what their we made it number was. And then that afternoon of the podcast, there was 120,000 players in the game, which is more than they were having on the weekends. And so it, it was just this like fascinating, like seeing how affected Nikita was by the server performance and how focused he is on it. And he's like apologizing and he wants it fixed and, and you can see it. And then to me, the most fascinating point was brought up related to the server performance. And it was Summit, who Summit's like, <laughs> he's like your FPS guy. He's the one that 
He's, you know, he's played professionally before. He's a huge streamer, but even Summit gets it. And he said this, he's like, you know, I want to say something. He said, there's a big difference in waiting 10 minutes for a queue when the game is on fire and you want to play and there's so many people. He said, it's very different when you're comparing it to a game that's dead and you're waiting for 10 minutes to get in a game there. And he's like, you guys are doing great. You guys are doing awesome. Like, we will wait to play. This game is great. You're moving it forward. And you could see Nikita be like, really? Like, you you would wait in queue to play this game? Like, it was a really interesting moment to watch that interaction and, and the understanding because you can just see how laser focused he is on performance, which, of course, that's what we want. But he doesn't understand that, like, if I'm not dropping out of the middle of a game, I'll wait 10 minutes to get in. I don't want to wait 10 minutes, but I will because I want to play the game. And if I knew that I was getting into a server that was going to be stable and I had no risk of getting dropped and no risk of losing my loot, I really don't care what the wait time is right now. And it just speaks to how good the game is right now. Yep. And I was watching an interview today, actually, with Pestily, and he was talking about how the current state of battle state right now, the current headcount. So, you know, a year ago, they were at like 12 people for the whole company, and now they're at 100 people. Think about this. They have a game that has 130,000 plus concurrent players, and it's a company of 100 people. I mean, it, it is now, yes, growth is great, but from just a purely logistics perspective, this game blew up even faster than any of them could possibly have wildly dreamed about, right? So now they're in a situation of, maintaining a good customer experience, you know, with a bunch of new customers. And and, and it's AAA gaming companies have thousands of employees that deal with this. They have server departments, they have IT departments, they've got all this resources. And these guys are like sleeping on the floor of the server room, keeping everything running. I mean, you have to make a choice, right? I mean, if you you say I paid for the game, so it's going to be perfect, if that's your expectation, well, that is one way to look at it. Personally, I'll speak for me. I I look at it as I see the dedication and the concern from the company as a really good sign for me for the future of the product. Because if one of the big complaints that people end up having against large gaming companies, and I'm not going to name any, but you know what I'm talking about here, is that those people lose sight of their customer, right? They 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 lose sight of who their customer is. And when that happens, they start worrying about peripheral things and stuff that just isn't keep isn't keep the game experience fun. But when you have game developers who are so concerned with leaving the game in a good space that they're willing to just do whatever it takes, you can go through a rough time, but people are so excited about the game development and you know, just in general, just like the game is good. And I don't want to ramble on too much about this, but my point is that Battlestate cares about their product way, way more than I would say your average game of this size. And they care about you, the gamer, whether or not you may believe it or not. I believe that they care about us as the gaming community and they know that we're having a bad time and they, and, and we need to cut them a little bit of slack. I mean, the game is, yes, it's beta, but really it's, if you think about it, for a beta game, it's far more complete than a lot of release candidate games that get pushed out by the big game studios these days. So 
overall, I would say it's been a frustrating experience at times. I myself have gotten frustrated. I've been disconnected. I've lost loot. I've had hard time staying connected or whatever. And that, that all happens. But I really do believe that we're in a somewhat short period of time now that if we get through this, they, they will scale as the money comes in. Those players all bought copies of the game. We had a great conversation last week, again, a plug for last week's episode, or two weeks ago episode now, where we talked about how Tarkov is going to be funded long-term. Money's going to come in. It will stabilize. And mostly this will just be something we talk about in episode 100 of the XFL podcast, where we remember what it was like back when the game really blew up back in, you know, January of 2020, right? So I think I think we just need to keep a little bit of perspective. If you've all noticed, they did give us a little bit of ruble for our trouble. Now, you can take that, you know, for what you think. It Did it inflate the economy? Yeah, it did. It definitely inflated the economy. You can't print rubles and not ruin the economy, right? And that happens in game and in real life. So I think that it did inflate the economy. But at the same time, if you are broke, you are less broke. And you are less broke because they care about you being a little bit less broke. It's true. And, and I think it was cool that they did something, right? It's like, you know, a million rubles. It's, it's great, you know? You can go buy a nice gun with it, go buy almost a weapons case. Like, it, it was a good thing to do. I think everything you said there about where this company appears to be going and where it's been all just speaks really positive. I mean, the fact that Nikita will get on a podcast with like 10 other rotating in and out large streamers with large communities, many of whom were streaming at the time and their communities are all in chat. Like it just shows you that they're not afraid of their problems, but they also want to focus on what's good and what they're doing and what they want to do. I mean, there's so much packed in this episode that we can't possibly unpack here. And since most of you guys listen to the podcast, they leaked a lot of this stuff in picture format, right? He's talking about all these things that they're going to be doing. Like, listen to this list, right? And we'll pick a couple out that we really think will affect how most people uh, play the game. But check this out. Um, they leaked a shotgun shell from an artillery weapon, like a special class of tactical shotgun. They released screenshots, leaks of handmade grenades, one that was made from a grenade shell, one that was made from the grenade casing of an underbarrel grenade launcher. They released a new muzzle brake. They had a picture of a motorcycle suit. They have new streamer items in. One of them was a coffee container for Dr. Lupo. They released a Vepper suppressor. <laughs> they released uh, a picture of what appeared to be new boss armor. They released a picture of the stock portion of a vector. They put in a 300 blackout suppressor. There was a bear jacket. There was a lootable book from the cultists. There was a compass on the watch. They showed a picture of an airdrop. They showed picture of customizable armor plates with different patterns on the actual plates. They showed new night vision. They showed a rescue machete knife. They showed pictures of the interchange rework and an arcade system within it. They showed a picture of a Mossberg. They showed an attack dog picture. They showed a video of you being able to prone peek, meaning you could roll onto your side while prone and shoot. 
like there is so much coming in this game. It's unbelievable. Like, yeah, server performance, all of that. But these are things that they all have. They already have like 3D modeled and specs on them. Like, oh my gosh, it's crazy. Yeah, when you think about it, yes, it's easy in the short term to be upset about the server stuff. And I get it. It's a major pain point for the Tarkov community. And it's a major pain point for our Exfil community. But really, just don't lose sight of the big picture here as you're playing. This game has got so much potential with all the different things that you can do today and all the different things that they've just let us into what they're planning. Think about what they haven't let us in yet. Who knows what that list is? But one thing that I want to just talk about, like I I love the fact that this company is willing to get on a stream with the community. Because a lot of large AAA gaming companies, and again, we don't name them, they have they have what they call community managers, right? Right. They have people that are, you know, paid propagandists to keep the keep the gamers in line, keep them from getting upset. And Tarkov just isn't doing any of that. What they're doing is saying, yeah, we know it sucks. We're working on it. We feel your pain. We hear you. We're trying to figure it out. Monitor their Twitter feed. Monitor their own Discord. Like They're not running away from the issues that they're having. I would challenge you if you're really frustrated with the game to the point where you're saying, I'm done, I'm quit, whatever. Well, what game are you going to play? Because none of them that I've played in the last, I'm not going to put a time limit, but say in a long time, I have not played a game where the developer has cared as much about the consumer, the gamer, as Battlestate has. And I think that that's just something we can't overlook in in the midst of our frustrations. I agree. It's refreshing. It seems almost new, or it seems like how it used to be in terms of gaming development. Um, It's not to say that community managers aren't a good thing. It's not to say that Tarkov may grow to the point where they get all of this stuff. But I've never seen anything quite like the podcast that they put together on their Twitch channel where they literally invited the community to be there. They invited streamers to come in and out as they could. And there was no question off limits. I mean, there was a guy that was like rapid firing hard questions at Nikita. And Nikita just doesn't answer back. He just doesn't respond and say, oh, that's a good idea. He will sit there and consider it. He'll tell you if it's planned. He'll tell you if they're not going to do it. I mean, the question of voice over IP, which if you're familiar with games that you can talk to someone that you just killed or, you know, things like that, they asked directly about it. And he said they could do it. They've thought about it. But they're really worried about the implementation because they don't want someone ruining the immersion for another player, meaning playing sound over the voice over IP system so that it ruins the immersion or someone playing like fake footsteps or explosions or what have you. So they're going to be really hesitant to do anything that affects the integrity of the game. And that was something that he talked about on the spot. And I thought it was really cool because just a couple weeks ago, VoIP was the thing. VoIP was the thing that was happening or that was thought to be happening. So I just love that he's not willing to be so firm in his opinions that he's not willing to listen. And that if there is something that the community thinks it wants that he doesn't or the battle state doesn't, they're not going to do it. And I was super impressed with how he handled dealing with questions and comments from as many as I think there was 10 other people on that podcast at one point. 
Yeah. And for example, another major question that they talked about was how certain maps develop places where people just don't go anymore. Right. So, you know, like reserve develops a play style where the action's done in like the first 10 or 15 minutes. Right. Right. People all rush to like the same place, you know, or even on shoreline, everybody rushes to the resort. Right. And then the action's there and then it's done. Right. So the like 80% of the map doesn't get traversed by, I would say, 80% of the players. Instead of trying to tell us that we're playing the game wrong or whatever, they just said, yeah. That's interesting. And they are looking at implementing, like, if you're not familiar with what a heat map is, it basically is taking a look at the activity of what happens and where. And then you plot all of those activity points on the map, and you can see where most of the activity the players are doing happens. And so what they're going to try to do is create different scenarios or loot or whatever. They didn't weren't specific, but just create reasons for us to spread out across the maps and take full advantage of what they've created. And I think that is reacting positively to a side effect of the way they design something. And they're not so stuck in the way that they created it to say that, no, our way of doing it is the way you're playing it wrong, play it differently. They're saying, no, the community and the player base have developed this strategy using the tools that we gave them. We need to tweak that a little bit to make it a little bit more uh, usable for the entire map or to make it, you know, to make it more fun. So people are incentivized to go in different places. And I just think that, again, shows you that they care about the game and where it's going. They're not just saying that it has to end up at a certain place. They care about how it's being played in their development in the future, I would say, is is being developed around how the game is being played. And that is an exciting thing. I agree. And as you were talking there, I realized they did talk about the heat maps. And then later in that podcast, they leaked the picture of airdrops, <laughs> right? So I don't know if these two things are directly related, but they're putting things in the game to monitor better where the action's happening. And then they just leaked something that, <clears throat> you know, if it's anything like the other games using airdrops right now, it's something that's dropping high tier loot into a map. And they said that could be at specific locations or randomized ones but that idea of the heat map and then the airdrop system could be really well meshed together because they could use it to say well this area of the map doesn't get really any interest what if randomly at some point in the game a plane flew over and dropped a crate on that spot it's going to incentivize pvp it's going to incentivize people camping there it's going to i mean all the play styles still work but they're looking at tying the entire map together. And it's easy to pick on Shoreline because there's so much open space that probably doesn't get traversed a whole lot. But I think every map has these uh, heat zones that are very cold, like the garages of Interchange. <laughs> you know, like everyone tries to get out of those as quickly as they possibly can. And so hopefully this leads to them making small design changes over time or big ones that that really make the whole map feel interactive and that you're not just, you know, you spawned in at a horrible spot because it's a cold zone. Yep. And regardless of what it is in the short and long term, the simple fact that they're doing it is very important, I think, to the viability of the game long term. So I'm excited to see what they do with it. I am too. And a lot of these features were just teased. We saw the pictures and you can bet as we find more and more out about all of these features that We'll cover them. We'll, we'll look at them. 
A lot of them were just schematic pictures, so we don't know exactly how they're going to come into the game, but I don't know. Personally, I'm super excited for all this stuff, and you can bet as we get more and more leaks and get closer to the actual release that we'll be looking more into how it's going to actually affect gameplay the way that they're going to put it in. So yeah, man, I, I'm excited for this. There, there wasn't anything that really shocked me uh, from the dev blog. I was mostly impressed by Nikita and then also excited for some of the stuff that's going to come out. Yep. You know, I think we're kind of getting to the end of the list here, but I do want to hit on one thing before we're done. We should really talk about the interchange rework that they talked about because I know that a lot of the people in our community like interchange, you know, and that includes you and me. We both mm-hmm. are very fond of interchange. Yep. So so you want to talk a little bit about what they uh what they said about that? Yeah, so the biggest change is they are going to have an alarm on Kiba. They were also going to be rebalancing Kiba loot around this. So when you open the door to Kiba, an alarm's going to go off. It's going to draw Killa if he's in the map. Um, they didn't mention that it could spawn him and he would come running in, which would be similar to Reserve and Gluhar. But it would draw Killa and Raiders. They specifically said Raiders. He said Raiders. And then after that, he said there's going to be two additional exfils. He didn't say where they're going to be. But he said that they want to make Interchange have switches and events and be much more like Reserve is. And that is so exciting to me because I have come to love Reserve because of all the things. Right, You hear that alarm on Reserve? Boy, that makes the bunkers really interesting. Ooh, you hear the train sound? Ooh, that makes it really interesting. Right, There's all these little events that trigger your emotions and how you play on the map. And it sounds like that's what they're doing to interchange as well, which I think is really, really cool. Yeah, I also agree. I think it'll be really interesting to see what new hot zones kind of develop on that map. You know, like where the new PvP hotspots develop and what kind of new strategies develop, especially once the Kiba alarm goes off and then if Kill is there or whatever in Raiders. What are you going to do, right? You know, you're, if you're in the wrong spot, you're probably in trouble. I, I want you to talk about one thing. I know that when I first started the game, I was somewhat embarrassed to ask this question for a long time. But can you talk about the difference between a scav and a raider? Just so that folks who are new to Tarkov can understand what a raider is, what a scav is, kind of what their place is. Yeah. Raiders will mess you up. <laughs> Basically... Uh, raiders currently, you can run into raiders basically surrounding any of the four scav bosses. So you've got the the four bosses that all have raiders with them. And effectively what they are is a very geared version of scavs. And they have specific spawn points or specific events tied to them spawning. So reserve has them, labs has them, customs has it. I don't even know where all the scav bosses are. I haven't killed them all yet. I think maybe I have. I don't know. But basically, the primary difference is raiders have much better aim. They will throw grenades. You'll often hear them use voice communication. But basically, they have really good gear. Like, oftentimes, you can find them with class 4, class 5 armor. You'll find them with armored rigs. They carry a bunch of grenades. They carry painkillers, stimulants, adrenaline shots. They are just a much more dangerous version of scavs. 
and they give a boatload of experience when you kill them as well. That's good. Thank you for the explanation because I know that there is at least one person who's going to listen to this who didn't know that. And our goal is to uh, help you to walk away with at least something new. So I know that that was a question that I had when I heard people talking about scavs and raiders in PMCs. And I was like, wait a minute, isn't a PMC raid? Isn't that a raider? But no, there's a special kind of NPC who's kind of like a super scav. So wanted to make sure we tuck that little bit of nugget into this conversation about Killa and the raiders around him. Absolutely. And it'll be really neat to have raiders that can be spawned or there'll be events on interchange. Like I, I can't wait to get back into this map and, and really dig in. That's going to be super exciting. Yep. Me too. I think it's going to be, I think it's going to make, you know, something that's familiar and fun, just even that much better. And that's the best part about the development cycle with Tarkov and the way that Battle States is doing this. So awesome. Furthermore, I think interchange is the map that needs more X fills. So <laughs> I think it's time I'm glad it's coming because I do think Interchange needs that. But yeah, guys, that's it. I mean, there was a ton of stuff in that blog. If you've got opinions on it or you got questions about it, feel free to ask. Like, I don't think anyone has a ton of answers right now, but we sure like to talk about it. So if there was something that stuck out to you you want to chat with, obviously bring that up in the Discord. We've got a couple subjects to obviously chat about in Discord. Looking forward to that. But that's it, guys. We made it to the X-Fill, which means we're seconds away from disappearing. Just wanted to thank you guys again for watching, for listening. And remember that you can always find us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, basically anywhere you listen to a podcast in audio form. And you can search us on YouTube anywhere under EXFIL. That's the X-Fill podcast. And the YouTube page is XP Media Now. Thanks, everyone, for really sticking with us to the end of this. We really appreciate all the support that we've gotten from the community. We appreciate everybody who's jumped into Discord. Over 200 of you have jumped in, and we've got a great conversation going there. I really encourage you, uh, jump into Discord. We've got a great community that's active. You can get some help, but you can just you know nerd out about Tarkov and have a good time with like-minded people. Uh, if you're looking to get a hold of us, make sure that uh, you send us a DM in Discord. That is the best way to get a hold of, of MTB Trigger or myself in Discord. Otherwise, you know, follow us on the socials with Twitter. That's at MTB Trigger or at Ronald Gaming. And of course, you can always email the show xpmedia2020 at gmail.com. We check that email address every day. So that's pretty much it. Have a good week, everybody. We'll catch you next time. Good luck and scabbed off, and we'll see you later.